Chapter Two of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What next morning brought? Mrs. Stiesler awoke at her usual hour, five o'clock. She rose quietly, slipped into her clothes, and stole off as gently as possible to avoid disturbing Tony. The girl tossed a bit, then went off to sleep again. Young people sleep sound, thought Mrs. Diesler, with a natural touch of envy. An hour and a half later she was busy in her cheery kitchen preparing Buchner's breakfast. She heard his heavy step on the stones outside and his whistling, which always annoyed her. Why does he have to make that noise? You'd think he was— The little milk pitcher fell from her hand, shattering to bits on the floor. But Mrs. Diesler did not notice it. She stood motionless, trembling, her eyes wide. Another cry rang through the house, a long, shrill shriek, the breaking of taut nerves tingling with horror. It was answered by a shout from Buchner. Good Lord, what was that? He ran to the kitchen door and threw it open. Something's wrong upstairs. Come on up, he called to Mrs. Diesler. Then his heavy boots pounded on the polished stairs as he ran up, two steps at a time. The old woman followed as fast as her trembling limbs would permit. She arrived in time to see Buchner, at the head of the stairs, catch a white-faced, fainting girl in his arms. But Tony recovered in a moment. She straightened up and stared with wide, horror-filled eyes down the right corridor, now flooded with sunlight. She gasped for breath, then cried, "'She's—she's she's dead!' The other two looked at her speechless. Buchner was the first to move. He hurried on past the girl down the corridor. "'I'll stay with you,' murmured Mrs. Diesler to the trembling girl who leaned against the wall with gray-white face. Tony shook her head. "'No, we must go there. Perhaps we can still do something for her.' She walked on slowly at first, then quickening her step. Mrs. Diesler kept close behind her. One thought was whirling around in the old woman's brain. Was it an omen of misfortune, that cry last night? Tony halted and drew a deep breath as if to gain courage before entering the open door the last door on the right side of the right-wing corridor. A large, handsomely furnished room lay before them, bright in the morning sun that fell through the big bay window, wreathed in ivy. Another door in the room was also open, revealing a bedchamber beyond, but on the threshold between the two rooms lay the body of Elise Lehman, rigid in the icy chill of death. Buchner was kneeling beside her, his hand on the cold forehead. "'There's nothing we can do here,' he said. She's cold as ice already. Merciful Christ, screamed the caretaker. She did it herself. She stabbed herself. Miss Tony, did you see that? And her shaking hand pointed to a dagger which lay on the edge of the rug, not far from the stiffened right hand of the corpse. Tony nodded, while her horror-widened eyes stared at the shining, polished blade. The groove along its edge and its sharp point were dulled and stained with brown-black spots, and other spots marred the border of the big rug. "'Oh, but it's dreadful, dreadful,' murmured Mrs. Diesler. Tony, as if incapable of independent thought, repeated dully, "'Dreadful.' Buchner rose from his knees. "'We'll have to notify the police at once. I'll go.' "'Shall I go too, or do you want me to stay here?' asked Mrs. Diesler timidly. "'For God's sake, stay with me. I can't be alone now.' Tony caught at the housekeeper's arm with icy hand. The two women stood motionless for some time after Buchner had gone. Their eyes and their thoughts focused on the one point, the corpse of the beautiful girl on the floor at their feet. 
Finally, the housekeeper stirred and bent down over the body, drawn by a gruesome curiosity. You can see she was frightened. Strange, ain't it? She was afraid of death, and yet she killed herself? Poor girl, so young and beautiful, and yet so unhappy that she didn't want to live any longer. It's hard for the likes of us to understand that. She put out her hand towards one long glossy tress, loosened from the heavy coils on the dead girl's head. It lay like a black snake on the bright-hued carpet. Mrs. Diesler touched it gently, as if to put it back in its place again. But Tony caught at her arm. Don't touch it! Don't touch anything! We have to leave everything just as it was till the police come! The girl shook as if in a fever. Mrs. Diesler put one arm around the trembling form and led her to the chair in front of the big window. Sit down there, she said gently. I'll sit here on the step beside you. Tony dropped her arms on the little table beside the chair, laid her head on them, and sobbed convulsively. Mrs. Diesler had no tears to relieve her horror. She had had little liking for her tenant. It was not merely the girl's arrogant, repellent manner. The simple old soul imagined that all fine ladies behaved that way, and in another case she might have accepted it without a further thought. But she could not help thinking that Miss Lehman, in spite of her haughty air and costly clothes, was not really a fine lady, and with this suspicion in mind, Mrs. Diesler resented her tenant's manner and treatment of herself. With all due commiseration for the girl's untimely death, the good old woman felt no inclination to weep over it. When her first horror had subsided, practical matters claimed her gloomy thought. She couldn't stay in the house after what had happened. She'd be too frightened. And it's so hard to find a new place when one is old. The two women sat quiet for some time, as motionless as the silent corpse on the floor. Tony's sobs ceased, but her face was still buried in her folded arms, and an occasional shudder shook her frame. Steps and voices downstairs startled them out of their thoughts. The police, whispered Tony with a gasping sigh. Mrs. Diesler involuntarily smoothed her apron and straightened her cap. Then she fell into deep thought again. What are you thinking about? asked Tony nervously. Shall I mention that scream? What scream? The scream I heard last night. Tony raised her head and stared at the old woman for a moment. Then she spoke harshly, angrily. Don't be ridiculous. They'd only laugh at such nonsense. They'd call it woman's foolishness. They'd... She paused, for the men outside had reached the door. Both women rose and stood waiting. The police commissioner, who came in first, nodded in answer to their respectful bow and looked at them sharply. He saw only two excited women, the younger with eyes red from weeping. You are the dead lady's maid? he asked, looking at Tony. Yes, sir. And you are the housekeeper? Then the commissioner turned to the body, beside which the doctor was kneeling. The official followed the physician's actions carefully and looked about the room with keen attention. After he had examined the dagger, he asked the maid if she had ever seen the weapon before. Tony replied that her mistress had used the dagger for a paper knife and that she kept it on her desk. And you have seen this dagger before, too? The official turned to Mrs. Diesler. Oh, yes, sir, replied the old woman, and Buchner volunteered the information that he had often seen it lying on the desk when he brought up flowers for the lady. How long have you been in this place, in the lady's service? The commissioner turned his attention to Tony again. Scarcely a month, sir. Well, this to the doctor who had risen to his feet. Internal hemorrhage. She's been dead for hours, probably since midnight or longer. It is evidently a case of suicide. Thanks, doctor said the commissioner. If you'll wait a few minutes, we can go down together. I'll be through here soon. 
Will you go downstairs, Mr. Buchner, and send up the men with the litter? They must be here by now. You haven't anything more to say about the case, I suppose? No, sir, except that I might mention how I'd seen the lady crying by herself in the garden a few days ago. Yes, I saw that, too, said Mrs. Diesler. Thanks. You may go, then. When the gardener had gone, the commissioner sat down at the table and beckoned to the two women. He took out his notebook and looked at Tony. Tell me all you know about the dead woman. What was her name? Elise Lehman. Has she any relatives? I do not know, sir. Didn't she speak to you about her family or her affairs? She didn't talk much to me, sir. The gardener tells me you and your lady had been here only three weeks. Yes. Pull up that chair and sit down, or you'll be keeling over, said the commissioner, who had a soft spot in his heart for women, particularly when they were young and pretty. When the girl was seated, he continued, You seem so upset about this affair. The poor lady wasn't much more than a stranger to you. Calm yourself, my child, and answer me. Then you have been in her service scarcely a month? About three weeks and four days. Where did the lady engage you? Tony did not answer immediately. She wiped the tears from her eyes and her cheeks before she spoke. She hired me in Lintz. Is Lintz your home? Yes, the lady was there for a few days. Then you don't know much about her affairs? I know only that she was engaged to be married. Ah, and that she had a friend besides. Oh. Her fiancé was Baron Edmund Walroth. He lives in Vienna, at least I think he does, for his letters came from Vienna. What was the other man's name? I don't know. You don't? Then how do you know that there is such a man? He was in Linz with my lady. Couldn't that have been Baron Walroth? Oh, no, sir. The lady and this gentleman spoke of the baron and had a bad quarrel about him. And besides, he was rather heavy-built and blonde, and Baron Walroth is tall and slender and dark. That's his picture up there. The official looked at the photograph that hung over the desk, then continued his examination. Is there anything more you can tell me about the dead woman? I think the baron rented this house for her. You can probably give us all information about that, said the commissioner turning to Mrs. Diesler. Oh, yes, sir. The gentleman in the picture up there came here on May 1st and took the house for the summer. He paid the rent in advance and said that the lady who was moving in was to be married to him soon. The lady, Miss Lehman, came on May 7th with her maid here. The gentleman hasn't been here since, nor any other visitors. But I think the lady liked company, for she was always going out, and went out evenings often, too. It's lonely in this house for a young, pretty thing like her. What is your name? the official asked the maid. Antonia Schreiner. Two men with a litter came in and raised the body from the floor, making it ready to carry away. The physician removed the watch and other jewelry and handed it to the commissioner. The latter had placed a dagger on the mantelpiece. The men moved off slowly with their sad burden, and the physician followed. When did you last see the lady alive? asked the commissioner, after a short examination of the watch and jewelry. Mrs. Diesler answered his question. Tony's widened eyes were fixed on the little procession moving down the hall. I saw her last about half-past ten last night, reported the housekeeper eagerly. The lady and Tony came home from the theater. And you? The commissioner looked at the girl. She turned her face slowly to him. I? What? What did you ask, sir? When did you last see your mistress alive? It must have been just after eleven o'clock. Tony spoke quickly now. You remember, Mrs. Diesler? The lady sent me down right away. She wouldn't let me undress her. She was in such a bad humor. Then she rang for me a little later. I was having a cup of tea with Mrs. Diesler. 
I went up and fetched her fresh drinking water. Yes, it must have been after eleven. When you came down with the water bottle, put in Mrs. Diesler, it was just a quarter past eleven by my clock, and you were asleep before twelve. How do you know that? asked the official, surprised. Do you room together? Mrs. Diesler slept with me last night, replied Tony calmly, because I'd been feeling so miserable all day. That's why she knows when I went to sleep. Commissioner Senfeld rose and went into the bedroom. It was in immaculate order. The bed had been prepared for the night, but had not been slept in. The only thing out of the usual was that a big black hat with long plumes lay thrown carelessly on a chair, and a feather boa, as well as one long white glove, trailed down from the seat of the chair to the floor. The door leading from this room to the corridor was locked, and the key was on the inside. The official returned to the living room, opened a drawer of the desk, and laid the dead woman's watch and jewelry in it. "'Where did she keep her money?' he asked of Tony. The girl pointed to another drawer. It contained about three hundred crowns in gold and bills. "'Are there second keys to these doors?' "'No,' answered both women. "'Did the lady have just these two rooms?' "'Oh, no, sir. We had the drawing-room and the dining-room and a room for me,' replied the maid. "'Well, I've finished here now. We can go down.' They went out into the hall, and the commissioner locked the door behind him, putting the key in his pocket. He looked into the other rooms, which were all in their usual order, and locked them up as well. Downstairs he turned to the girl again. "'I suppose you had better wait until the baron comes. He may want to speak to you. And then you'll want your money, too.' "'I'll wait here until the baron comes,' Tony answered calmly. Commissioner Senfeld nodded to her with a kindly smile and joined the doctor who was waiting in the garden. The hospital wagon had driven off, and the two men followed in their cab. The grey house lay as quiet as before in the circle of its blossoming garden. Buchner closed the gate behind the officials and went back to his own cabin, forgetting his breakfast entirely. But Mrs. Diesler was more practical. She believed in keeping to the day's routine whenever possible, and she thought that a good hot cup of coffee would comfort the poor frightened girl. "'Come with me, Miss Tony,' she began. Then she saw that Tony was not there. Upstairs in the hall, a door closed. Tony had gone to her own room. Commissioner Senfield wired the Vienna police concerning Baron Walroth. The answer came giving the gentleman's address, but a second wire to his home brought forth the information that the baron was away on a trip and that a letter would reach him in Malmo, Sweden, after the 1st of June. The commissioner wrote to that address, giving all particulars as to the death of Elise Lehman. But before this letter had reached the man she was to have married, the beautiful woman was quietly buried in the Salzburg Cemetery. Hospital attendants carried the coffin, and the only mourners were the gardener and the two women from the Grey House. The young clergyman murmured his prayers hastily, with a look almost of anger towards the coffin, where lay the body of the suicide, a being accursed by the tenets of his religion. He went away as soon as his office was performed. But the women lingered. Tony sobbed bitterly, and Mrs. Diesler tried to soothe her. As far as the public authorities were concerned, the case was closed. An official notice went out to papers in Salzburg and Vienna, asking for relatives or heirs of Elise Lehman, and Commissioner Sunfeld turned to other matters. End of chapter 2